0: What's up, everyone, and welcome to Project X Talk, an Xbox podcast, episode number 144, presented by Save the Game Media. I'm your host, Kevin, and on today's episode, we're talking uh, declining Xbox hardware sales, Ubisoft has canceled another game, and so much more. But I got to introduce my co-host back. He's, he's sticking around, folks. All right. We like him here. jam Sam. How you doing this week?
1: what's up dude i'm doing very well i think this is episode number three if i'm keeping track properly could be four i'm not really sure time is irrelevant at this point i don't know but circle. uh yeah yeah time time is a flat circle but yeah man i'm doing good i played a ton of games this week Ooh. after kind of falling off of the the gaming wagon with getting just busy with summer and life and stuff but uh yeah had an awesome week so happy to be back to discuss some uh, some gaming news
0: that's awesome! I can't wait to hear about what you've been playing. Uh, it's I've only actually played one game this week, so stark contrast to me going on. But I'm uh, I'm quite busy this week with uh, just trying to going on vacation tomorrow. So I had a lot of planning, and then I had a, a double header soccer game on Monday. So I was out for hours, and like my body is just dead right now. Like I'm still in pain from two days ago. Or it's crazy. I'm having a busy week, but I'm glad to hear you're having some time for gaming. I know you've been super busy, so we're reversing roles this week.
1: But yeah, uh, we're kind of we're kind of trading off. Was it uh, very hot when you were playing these soccer games? Oh
0: yes, yes. It's uh, it's just constant humidity in New nice. York yeah. now. I don't know if this is just if this is climate change or whatever we like to call it, you know. But uh, it's 100% humidity, 90 degrees all all summer this year. So. That's yeah, all we in, get.
1: in North Carolina today, it was, uh, I think the high today was 97 with a real feel Oof. of 105, Oof. I think is what it was. And so uh, I haven't gone outside. I went to the gym downstairs, but I certainly have not gone outside. I'll tell you that much.
0: That's crazy. I call, I I often say anything above like 80 to me is oppressive. So yeah. you're, you're pushing into territory where I'm like, I'm, I'm closing it. Shut the society down. Yeah, right? I'm I'm hot. good.
1: Yeah. It's too, it's too hot to do much of anything.
0: Uh, well if you're new here this is an Xbox podcast and we're usually live every Thursday right here on YouTube uh where we're doing it a day early because I'm going on vacation but if you can't catch us live we post every Friday morning on your favorite audio platform of choice so while you're over there please drop us that five star review Let us Apple Spotify it'll also enter you into our Starfield giveaway we are approaching 100 total reviews across those platforms so if you can help us get to that 100 reviews that would be awesome and you could win yourself the $100 premium digital edition of Starfield, let you play five days early. Just show me that you rated us on either platform or subscribe to the YouTube on uh, youtube.com slash save the game media. And you can get a bunch of entries. All right. I'm, I'm giving them away. All right. It's very simple. Just show me that you've done it, Twitter or discord. Speaking of Discord, the link is down below if you want to show me that or just come hang out and chat with us. If you want to support us further and get early access to Save the Game Media content and exclusive bonus post shows, head over to patreon.com slash save the game media. Choose the tier that's right for you like our current Patreon supporters. So thank you to Bucky Blue. Fabulous Brianna, Brianna's mom, Brianna's brother, Brianna's wife, Nikolai at night, Cypher Primus, Brendan Myers, Marcus O'Neill, Lillian, Mimi J, The Snack Network, David Hotright, Dave Harp, the Xbox Expansion Pass, and Alpaca Tom. Thank you all for your support. We appreciate each and every one of you. Now that we've got housekeeping out of the way, let's start like we do each and every week, going around the room and asking one question. The question is, what have you been playing, my friend?
1: Oh, so we'll start off with what I kind of teased last week. I joined the Ubisoft Creators Program, and so they have like a slew of of things that run throughout the year as games are coming up. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the ones that we got to check out a little bit early was the Crew Motor Fest closed beta. So not really a behind the scenes look, but we could kind of check it out before the embargo dropped. Um, and so I played about five hours of that just to prep for a video that I put out a couple of days ago on my YouTube channel just to give my thoughts on how the game feels. Uh, I am shocked, dude, at how good this game really Ooh. is. Like when when it came out with the, um, with the Ubisoft Forward a couple of weeks ago and we saw a little bit more of a deep look into it. It, it feels like a Forza Horizon copy, like it really is trying to kind of emulate what Forza Horizon brought. But there's enough new stuff in it that makes it entertaining on a different kind of level. Like you've got planes, you've got boats, uh, you've got different types of events that all have a really unique feel and look to them. So really enjoyed my time with that. But um, I also finished the Wolong Fallen Dynasty Battle of Zong DLC so I finally wrapped that up, got the uh, 100% trophy on it, or the achievement on Ooh. it. Uh, yeah, completely through and through. Lastest. Just, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we uh, we finished the DLC. Still more to do collectible-wise, but as far as, like, all battle flags raised, all bosses killed, uh, we are good there. And then in between that, a little bit of Quake Champions. I... Um, Mentioned on the post show last week that I went to the Southeast Game Exchange and I bought a scale breaker statue that's right here next to the Needler. And so now I've been back in the mood for some Quake champions. So, uh, very fun little free to play joint that is uh, great on PC. Very good. Very good. Hmm.
0: I've never played any Quake game that is that really? is so, yeah that is something that is has eluded me um and i know there were rumors of like its next game is going to be a quake game kind of like what they they revived doom and i'm all for it like i love i actually really enjoy the new doom games i've never i've never been historically a doom guy but i really enjoyed uh eternal and and just having a great time with those type of games lately it's it's kind of like shut my brain off and just blast some demons so i'm uh, i'm all for it but quake champions is like the pvp one right
1: yeah, so it feels a lot like if you played the Doom, uh, I think it was Doom 2016 multiplayer. I think it had a multiplayer mode in it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so I played both the Doom 2016 and the Doom Eternal multiplayer, and it's just that same run and gun. You're just vaulting through tunnels, shooting whatever you might come across kind of thing. It has that same feel to it. Um, but the cool thing is with Xbox Game Pass, you unlock all the champions. Everything is just totally open oh. to you. So there's no real like you can buy a battle pass if you want, but I don't feel strong armed into getting one just since I'm a casual player. um But you've got everything open to you. They got uh BJ Blazkowicz in there. The Doom Slayer is a playable character. Just cool little cameos from yeah, other Bethesda yeah. IP that are thrown in there. I'm having a great time with it.
0: That's awesome. That's awesome. I've uh, I've never seen it. So, but that's that's sweet. I love those. Little, we need more of those little crossover like yeah. characters, especially now. Now that we've have bringing in a whole new uh, a whole new publisher to the Xbox family, but I've heard I heard similar things about the Crew Motorfest that you were saying. I heard some people call it Ubisoft Forza uh, Horizon that they were trying to push there. So uh, I didn't know you were playing that. I saw I know Court Lalon over at Carpool Gaming was also playing it and had some really good things about to say about it. So not my type of game, but I'll, it it sounds pretty good. Is it, yeah. is it fully out now? Uh,
1: I, I, uh, when does it launch? It is not out right now. I know I think it launches this fall. Uh, let's see, release date. I just want to verify real quick. September 11th is when it comes out in early access. September the 14th uh, is the full launch. But, um, the way that I said it in my video is like, if you really enjoy Forza Horizon and you like that arcadey style open world racing game, this is finally giving Forza Horizon a real run for its money.
0: Wow. Okay. Is it $70, I imagine? Yeah. Full price game. Yeah, okay. All right, cool, cool, cool. Uh, So if people like those racing games, check that one out. I only have one thing to talk about this week, Sam, and that is Sonic Frontiers. I told you I was going to start that after I wrapped up the Dark Picture games I've been playing. I'm about six hours in, uh, and I'm about done with the second island so far. And I got to say, this game is awesome. I really, really like this game. I'm having a good time. I'm not normally the open world uh, gamer, as as many that have listened to this show will attest to, that I often slander the open world genre, especially the Ubisoft. But something about the Sonic, putting it in there, being able to zip around islands at high speed, and like, yes, do the rails look weird just like floating there randomly? Like, why is this here? it does like the design is a little off at points but then again once i hop on them where i figure out like how to get to certain areas just zipping around and getting through those puzzles is a lot of fun i'm actually enjoying like collecting all of like whether it's amy's hearts or uh, right now it's knuckles medallions and progressing the story and then you have the inner the the little um, regular levels uh, you go to like the Thrones and you have to open mm. it with a gear or whatever. And then you go to like the classic Sonic levels where you're kind of even they have 2d levels in here, which took me by surprise. I was like, Oh, I didn't know we were doing that, but really, really good level design in those. The, I feel a little dumb playing this game. I don't know if you, I know you have it, right? Yeah. I've played about five hours of it, probably okay. five or six hours. And then I put it down. I, I feel a little dumb sometimes because they're like enemies where i'm not quite sure how to kill them and then when i look it up i'm like oh i'm an idiot like it's it's either, most of the time it's run around them and do your little like uh, sonic trail thing or the cyclone yeah. or jump on them and then do your ground pound i'm like why wouldn't i think of this because in my mind i'm like just smash the x button as, or the square button as fast as possible and just right. kick the crap out of them um the the first boss i i was like am i gonna uninstall this game because i was getting raged induced because i was like supersonic and fighting this guy and you have a time limit and i couldn't figure out how to do it and then i just googled it and it was like oh i should just use my left trigger move where he just shoots a bunch of stuff and then it depletes the health bar really fast i spent 45 minutes just getting frustrated at that fight for no reason
1: Yeah, I mean, I feel like that's kind of the beauty of some of the game design, where uh, even if it isn't intentionally pushing us, it kind of it doesn't just give you the answer to everything. And I think we might have a question about that later on, about the ease of some of the games. If I remember correctly, there was one Mm -hmm. uh, in the discord. Um, But with Sonic Frontiers, it's one I need to get back to. It came at a time I got it for Christmas and family members gave it to me. And typically with Christmas, that's where I you know like i'm an adult now i just kind of like load up all the backlog games that i didn't get to through the year that are like 20 dollars on black friday and sonic frontiers was one of those so it's kind of like a stocking stuff or like mm-hmm. grandma doesn't know what i like yeah buy sonic or whatever um so i checked it out i enjoyed it i think that for me it's probably one that i might go back to like later on in the year after Starfield, after everything's kind of gone and i can go back and look at it but i'm glad you're enjoying it i uh I think it's one of the most unique sonic games I've ever seen where you mm-hmm. dive in and it's just like it not the world you expect to see Sonic running around in and also like you said where there's just floating rails. I like the fact that they say why are there rails here? Don't worry about it. Just yeah. get on them. Do do play the game. Shut up. Do you Sonic know, like, stuff. <laughs> yeah, do Sonic things. But uh but that's awesome man. I'm glad you're digging it.
0: Yeah, I worry that the game will lose some of its charm because... So you're on the first island, you collect all the Chaos Emeralds. And in my mind, I was like, oh, is it going to be like one Chaos Emerald per island? No, no, no. You got all of them on the first island. So then I was like, okay, what are we doing for the other islands? We go to the second island. He loses all of them on the second island. Now I have to recollect all of them. And I was like, is this what every island is going to be? Like, just... I, I. I help my ghost friend who's trapped in a cyberspace and collect chaos emeralds and then fight the boss because that could get a little repetitive, I think.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I I don't know if I... I think I might have gotten to the second island, but it's so far back, I've kind of like lost my memory on it. So as you make your way through, I expect
0: updates on how repetitive the game actually mm. ends up getting. I will let you know. I, I planned... Uh, I, I, it's not very long. I, my PlayStation says I'm 35% of the way done with the main story already, and I'm like... Nice. Six hours in, so I'll have it. I'll have this beat before Atlas fallen, which is uh which is my goal. But we can get into some news now, Sam. Let's, Let's do jump in there. So Story number one, we have the Xbox Quarter 4 2023 Fiscal Year Financial Report. Microsoft has revealed its latest financial results for fiscal year Q4 2023, and it's Microsoft's best fiscal quarter to date, with an overall revenue hitting $56.2 billion, which is an 8% increase. On the gaming side, however, the picture isn't quite as positive. Xbox gaming revenue rose 1%, Xbox content and services were up 5%, while Xbox hardware was down. down 13 percent however xbox game pass engagement is up 22 percent so there is a little offsetting there but what i want to know sam from this takeaway is does xbox have a console sales problem
1: i don't think that they have one right now and i don't even know if console sales would be considered a problem for microsoft's current approach i think that the real concern for them would be If the Xbox content and services have been down 13% and Xbox hardware have been stagnant, let's say, I think that with Game Pass being the focus of how they're delivering content and where they're putting their, you know, eggs in in that Game Pass basket, I think that the console is just a means to an end. It's just the delivery method for the actual content itself. So um, I also think that we're in the summer season it's kind of shocking to me that the xbox hardware decline follows the uh spring showcase i think that's kind of unique in that there was a really big showing of xbox exclusive games and yet Mm -hmm. people aren't buying the console now potentially Could be waiting for the Jet Black or the Carbon Black Xbox Series S that's coming out in September. Could be waiting for these games to land and see how they actually are. Um, So I think that they're going to have a comeback in the next quarter and the following quarter with the holiday and fall season coming through. But I wouldn't consider it a problem right now in my world
0: hmm uh, So I'm a, I'm a little torn. A, a decrease of 13% is troubling when you just look at the numbers, right? We know Xbox Series X and S have hit the 21 million mark at least. And we talked about a few weeks ago um, that PlayStation is nearing 40 million. So they're almost at that two to one ratio again this generation. Uh, when you just take those numbers into effect, it is a little concerning where I'm like, okay, why aren't Xbox consoles selling? Is it simply due to the fact that people still have this perception that Xbox has no games? We know Xbox's showcase, as you were saying, was their most viewed ever, right? It was like 75 million people or something, like some crazy number viewed the, the Xbox showcase. So as you were saying, we know that they've got the message out there. So why aren't people picking it up? I'm going to hold judgment for now uh, whether they have a problem. Uh, I think the quarter that will really determine for me is the quarter that Starfield comes out. If we see Starfield launch and then Xbox console is still down or decreasing and isn't picking up, if uh, especially if Starfield gets good reviews, like if it's as good as we all expect it, it should move consoles in my mind. Anyway, I know some people play on PC. But this is a Series X and S exclusive. This is the console seller that we've been waiting for. So if we get the financials from that quarter and we're still not seeing some positive growth, then I start to to worry because we go into 2024 with games like Hellblade, games like Avowed. And if Starfield couldn't move the units, are those IPs going to move the units? Because in my mind, and, and maybe you feel differently, Starfield is a much bigger draw. It's Bethesda's first brand new ip in how many years as much as i'm excited for hellblade 2 and Avowed, i don't see the general like gaming public being like oh i'm really excited for those two games because they one was an indie game and then the other is it kind of looks like skyrim but how many people really know about it if they're not in the gaming sphere right like that is that that Almost a hidden gem, I think, that people will have to discover and get through word of mouth. But Starfield, I think the general gaming public should know about this because we've been waiting for like a decade about this game at this point. And it, it's got that Bethesda, makers of Starfield. You know we're going to be seeing that. So I'm waiting to see how it does after that quarter.
1: Yeah, I think it's a really interesting point to bring up. I, I wonder a lot about the Starfield audience and the Bethesda audience in general because in my mind... If you're looking at the public, not the people that are watching this podcast, not the people that are even watching like IGN or any no one that's on YouTube taking in content, Elder Scrolls Five: Skyrim, people know that name, generally speaking, that's big enough to where people know about it on a cultural level. Mm -hmm. But if you introduce a new IP like Starfield, and for some reason in the trailer that's shown or in the announcement that's shown, they don't mention that, it. hey, it's the people that made Skyrim. I don't know how many people are really going to care about mm. the term Starfield outside of our little podcasting space and the general gaming community, the 92 million that tuned in to the Xbox content that was shown off for the Direct or the um, the Starfield Direct and the Xbox Game Showcase. So I think it'll be really interesting to see how those console sales look, like you said, after the Starfield release. But I think that the real impact is going to be once the Call of Duty marketing deal with Mm. PlayStation expires, because you're talking about public eye and what's really going to shift consoles. Even if Call of Duty isn't a exclusive for Xbox specifically, the fact that at the end of the trailer, it's going to be an Xbox splash screen, it's going to be green instead of blue. That's what's going to really turn consoles in the long term. And um, even beyond that, Another point that I just thought of about this decline in sales, have the sales so far this generation been inflated because the Xbox Series S has been so readily available that those sales have been skyrocketing just because it's the only box at Target. And mm. now the PlayStation 5 is becoming more available than people are looking. And since it is such the uh, cultural leader in the gaming space right now, like if you're at the lunchroom table in high school, your friends are probably going to have a PS5. And so if that is the one that you're going to try and get, then the fact that it's there could be shifting the tides a little bit just because it's present on the shelf at this point. So uh, another thing to consider there, too.
0: That's a fair point, because when I'm out and about, and this is clearly anecdotal, um, I've seen Series S everywhere. Series S, I have no problem. Like, I can walk into Target right now and get five of the bad boys just sitting there. PlayStation 5s, I see at GameStop, and that's really it. They're basically the only retailer around me with PS5s. I've never seen a Series X just sitting around in any store, which is is crazy to me, especially because I know Phil said that they've increased the stock. So, whether people are waiting to get the Series X, which I think you could just buy online, but I know a lot of people are, are cautious about buying electronics like that online and getting damaged in, in transit. But I would, I would. Like to see where where this goes, especially after the new Series S comes out. Does that give it a boost? Like with the new terabyte hard uh, hard drive that they're putting in, will Starfield will, as you said, Call of Duty in probably another year, twenty twenty five ish, right? Do we get a giant bump from that and suddenly we see Xbox start gaining ground? Kind of what happened with the 360 and PS3 generation, right? Where people often say, well, Xbox won the generation, but PlayStation did sell more by the end of it because they just went longer with it, right? So we could see something. Do I think they're going to outsell PlayStation? No. Do I think they can close the gap, especially after all the strides that they're making with Japanese publishers and now the Activision deal? I think it's possible.
1: Yeah, I think that, you know, here on July 26th of 2023, I'm going to call it that by the end of this generation, it's going to be pretty much 50 50 of where this console sale Mm -hmm. ends, just because I mean, you're looking at these consoles came out in 2020. Mm -hmm. So we're looking at a 10 year, let's just say a 10 year console cycle. By the time 2030 rolls around, we're seven years down, we're talking about Where we are right now in the PS4 and Xbox One generation where a few games are still trickling out. I think at that point between Call of Duty and other big Blizzard and Activision titles getting those marketing rights. uh, And on top of that, also, hopefully, these dominoes falling in place of all these Xbox games finally delivering and we actually get good content that is exclusive to Xbox. I I mean, PlayStation's still going to kill it because they've got great stuff over there but i think that xbox could really start to make up a lot of ground and that'll make a huge impact over the next decade or so
0: that's a bold prediction i would love to love to see it happen uh I, as we know most people aren't multi-console households i think i think the court documents was like play if you have a playstation 5 you're like 20 percent of you have a switch as well but like if you have a playstation xbox it's a pretty small uh small percentage that actually has both those consoles. So I would uh I'll I'll love to see how this turns out. But uh I think the the best news here is Xbox Game Pass engagement up 22 That is good, especially for a quarter that I don't know if what was the strongest in the Xbox Game Pass library. There were some good smaller titles put in. Obviously uh Redfall is uh kind of a disappointment in this category but um, like like you said I can only expect this number to go up across across the board when you get Starfield and that the big hitters start coming 2024.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think that um, you see a lot of third party games, indie games coming through. And I'm I'm the, I'm the type that if I recommend somebody get an Xbox of any type, you got to subscribe to Game Pass like Agreed. that's you know like you it, it it's like if you go to uh, t- taco bell and you don't get baja blast like it, it, they go hand in hand you just you got to do it you're there you you've got to go all out so um yeah i agree it's great to see game pass continuing to grow and you know i don't see my sub stopping anytime soon for ultimate so uh keep on keeping on i'm looking forward to more games coming
0: game pass is the baja blast for xbox Close that All right. Well, we can move on to story number two here, and it's an acquisition but not from Xbox. Tencent has acquired Techland. Tencent and Techland, the creators of Dying Light, have entered into agreement for Tencent to become the majority shareholder for the company. Techland will retain all... Uh, ownership of their IPs and creative freedom. So, Sam, how are we feeling? Tencent obviously they have their hands in a lot of gaming studios, uh, latest tech land, the dying light devs getting uh, snatched up.
1: Yeah, I think this is a really interesting approach because. Tencent has, for the past five years, kind of become one of these big evil megacorps in the gaming space where you see them coming in, swooping in, and either going for a majority stake in something and trying to maintain control over whatever uh, they might be wanting to get control over at that given time. But my exposure to Tencent is primarily through PUBG Corp, where there's a pretty big involvement there. And so as somebody who used to play PUBG back in like 2018, after Tencent came in, I can't really say there was much of an impact to the strategy Mm. outside of what would have already changed had the company just continued to exist. Like, they're still doing their own thing. PUBG Mobile came out, still a thing. Um, I think, if anything, this will give the team at uh, Techland more uh, leverage to kind of do what they want. Might have a little bit more backing without having to worry uh, about the success of one game or another carrying the company they'll have that backing of a big owner uh can come in and kind of float some money if things uh, you know don't go their way or they want to experiment or something uh, but equally there's also this liability of like if things don't go great for ten cent then they could just chop off the leg to save the body and then all of a sudden there's layoffs at Techland. so any kind of acquisition comes with risk like we're seeing with cd project red this week too mm-hmm. uh, where they're laying off some of their staff just because they scaled up too fast
0: yeah yeah for sure and uh, Tencent, obviously, a big Chinese company, and and I've I've expressed my concern about uh, their ties to the Chinese government and and everything that comes along with that in the past censorship. I know, uh, for example, like Guilty Gear Strive, they had to, you have to take mentions of Taiwan out of the game because of the ties to the Chinese government. So there is concern for censorship. I do think that. In terms of if they can, if they are retaining creative freedom, the influx of cash could go a long way for Techland because Dying Light One was a game that I did play for for a bit. I never beat it. It was one of those games I played with friends, and just I thought there was promise there. It's a good, fun zombie parkour game. It's it's pretty scary uh, at night if you're into the kind of stuff. Dying Light Two, I think, kind of underperformed um, from what I think people expected due to some bugs and some glitches and some some issues that they had. Um, I know trophies were broken for quite some time on Dying Light 2. I'm not sure if they're even fixed now. And they basically reworked a whole bunch of that game uh, along the way when they were fixing it. So I don't know if Techland has really hit the heights that maybe a lot of people expected them to, but this influx of cash from Tencent, who is a very rich company, who has their hands in things like Sumo Digital. I know they acquired a a few years back for like one something billion dollars or whatever. These are studios that can now make games with less risk involved, uh, right? Because they're going to have the backing of a very powerful corporation who is what, they're ahead of microsoft i think in terms of gaming game overall gaming revenue right uh, <laughs> i haven't so, seen the metrics lately but i mean that sounds right for sure they they were at one point so 10 cents certainly you won't, you, won't, you don't think of them because they're not a platform holder and this always surprises people but like they have so many investments in their hands of so many studios that they are making a ton of money in the gaming industry
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like um, Vivendi whenever they were going after Ubisoft where you're Mm -hmm. like, who is Vivendi? You're not PlayStation. You're not Xbox. What's going on here? And it's uh, there are more players in the space than people realize. Like just because they're not in the in the headlines every time doesn't mean people aren't throwing cash at this industry to try and make some form of space for themselves by acquisitions for sure.
0: And and Tencent is pretty smart with what who they acquire or who they invest in. They're not embracer. They're not just gathering up a bunch of studios and like growing to massive size. Like they probably make a, an acquisition every six months or so. Pro and it's always a studio that is like in that double A area. And then they kind of just like okay, here's money. We're gonna let you continue to make games and just just don't go under. Don't make something that's like awful. And I think Techland. Uh, is it kind of in that in that pedigree. I don't know what their next project is after Dying Light 2. I'm not sh- I'm not sure if it's Dying Light 3 or a new IP be- like as like I said I don't think Dying Light 2 really set the world alight like the the first one was kind of it had some buzz so I think it, people were excited for it but I'm I'm more excited to see what they can do now. What where, what do they do going forward?
1: yeah I think that you'll see a ton of support for dying light too but it's the same situation with cyberpunk and the Witcher and everything coming out of CD project red where what is the other project they'll be working on while they continue to flesh out dying light Two? I know they just put out a huge update a couple of weeks ago that fundamentally changed the way that night works the way that uh, a lot of the big boss style enemies function in the game so they're continuing to to hone in on what that experience looks like and from what I understand now it's a really really good version of dying light Two. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but, you know, to your point, what's next after this is all said and done? Uh, and uh, it sounds like Tencent's going to let them do what they want.
0: So that's always good. Well, I'm excited to see their next project. But you know what I'm not excited for, Sam? Tell me. The Borderlands movie. Oh, <laughs> it's happening. Uh, the Borderlands movie finally has a release date, air quotes. The long-in-production Borderlands movie finally has a release date. Eli Ross Borderlands film is set to release in just over a year on August 9th, 2024. The film will star Kate Blanchett, Kevin Hart, Jack Black, Jamie Lee Curtis, and more in this adaptation of Gearbox's much-beloved franchise. Sam, when I shared this, you seemed a little skeptical about this release date.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm still not feeling good about it. I, I mean, like, you've got a star-studded cast here that's a lot of money riding on this thing from what we're hearing i think that eli roth might have wanted his name removed from it or like one of the directors was using a pseudonym to try and like remove himself from the project that's never a good time when you're talking about an ip like borderlands and you got the chance to help make a movie for it and you're like hey don't let people know i'm here yet like that's just not a good feeling going into it and you never know how these things are going to work out. It could be a hit. I mean, I'm hearing great things about the twisted metal show, which is apparently not bad. Uh, shockingly, but um, but yeah, all star cast right there. With I mean, Jack Black, Jamie Lee Curtis. That that's mm-hmm. wild. So um, we'll see if it hits the release date. I'm just I would not put my money on that by any means. I think that's a that's a t- that's a tall order right there.
0: I think it's a bold strategy to release, uh, uh, to put out a release date when there's an actor and writer strike currently going on most true. most movies are like hey if we haven't finished the movie it's probably like not coming out at the time that we think it's coming out like i think there's some movies coming out the rest of the year i know saw x and then i think the marvels over in the mcu is coming out but most of the movies that i think were slated for early next year in this one late next year i would not count on them hitting those release dates because people just aren't working in the industry and god knows when this strike is is actually going to end. Like we're seeing, we're seeing streaming services be like, we're going to take our streaming exclusive shows and put them on uh, broadcast TV because we have no shows to show in the fall. Like there's nothing going on. So like, Miss Marvel's going to NBC or whatever, and then like Yellowstone is going to ABC. It's like it's a mess. This whole thing is a mess. I have no faith in the Borderlands movie already just because like it's been in production for like eight years and it's had a ton of issues. Like you said, there was that writer who wanted his name removed. Uh, I don't know about the casting choices. I do think David Hotwright in the chat was like all star cast. I do think that individually these actors are great. Do I think they belong in a Borderlands movie? I don't know about that.
1: Yeah. no I think the the only one that I am head over heels about with being in this movie is the idea that Jack Black is claptrap. That uh, keep that no matter what you do, if you completely erase the rest of this movie, keep Jack Black in the role as claptrap, and we're good to go. You've already got. If we're on a scale of one to ten, Jack Black being there is a seven already. Like you just need three more points. <laughs> yeah. I-
0: Kate Blanchett I think is a great get Kevin Hart is Roland. I don't know what they're doing there like that just doesn't fit at all but we're gonna we're gonna see. I wish them all the the luck in the world with August 9th 2024 but I wouldn't hold my breath on that release date. so let's go into some more sad news. The Immortals sequel has been canceled by Ubisoft. This comes from Andy Robinson over at Video Games Chronicles. Ubisoft has canceled plans for a sequel to 2020's Immortals Phoenix Rising. According to multiple development sources who said the game was in development at Ubisoft Quebec, leadership decided to cancel the sequel earlier this month due to, quote, perceived challenges around establishing the IP. This comes months after Ubisoft canceled three other unannounced games and shifted focus to their big IPs and live service titles sam how are we feeling uh seems like the immortal sequel that people were kind of excited for is not going to happen
1: yeah i think that it's a bummer whenever you see any game get canceled that has been semi-announced and i think that they had never officially announced that a sequel was on the way but there was always just kind of like unspoken that this game was successful enough to warrant a follow-up um I also understand the strategy where Ubisoft was having troubles a couple of years ago because they were trying so many different things that all of this money was flowing into these different projects that weren't putting back into the company, wasn't making money. I uh, think about that battle royale they made. It was like Hyperscape, I think is what mm-hmm. it was. Um, and things like that where they were chasing trends and not really uh, delivering on what they needed to do. And so Immortals Phoenix Rising was somewhere in between where it was. Kind of like a kiddie Assassin's Creed Odyssey, but also brought in some unique Zelda elements as well. Like it was trying new things, but it didn't necessarily land and nail enough to give it a sequel, I guess, in the long term, but. As somebody who never played Immortals Phoenix Rising, I'm not deeply tied to it. Mm. Uh, I love the focus on what's working well, like pour more into diverse Assassin's Creed, like what we see with Mirage in comparison to Odyssey, more of that kind of these different um, style games in IP that we know are going to be successful is where I'd like to see the focus shift.
0: So i'm i'm not ubisoft's biggest fan in fact uh some people would say i'm i'm their number one anti-fan uh the amount of crap i talk about ubisoft but immortals was actually one of the games i tried from ubisoft i got it on a a deep discount and i was like all right I, i think it looks interesting i'm not a fan of the open world assassin's creed i'm not a fan of any assassin's creed to be fair and i wasn't Really drawn to the new Zelda game. So everyone's like, why am I playing this game? I gave it a shot. I actually really enjoyed the story of immortal Phoenix Rising. And I always said, if this was a linear game without all the open world Unisoftness, mm. I think this game is a lot better. I know people liked it, but at the end of the day, this was very much as you described it Zelda meets Assassin's Creed. Like you see that they kind of just made this a ubisoft formula game a ubisoft assassin's creed game and reskinned it to make it more breath of the wild inspired gave it a, a different sort of story but the the thing that excited me about the possibility for sequels in in this franchise was that they were going to explore different mythologies like we had the the greek mythology for the first one and I would love to have seen like an Egyptian mythology or just different civilizations where we see those gods and see what they can do in there because I think there's a lot of promise there mythology has always been something I'm really interested in and I was hoping that maybe they would you know get rid of some of that open worldy sameness, especially because they're like okay we have other franchises that we can do that in but it sounds like they just didn't have faith that people were going to be drawn to this IP going forward. Um, I I thought it sold well enough, but it really does seem like they're more, we need to make money. Um, we, We need to just go with what we know is going to give us that cash influx
1: yeah and i mean i I think that there's there's strategy there where you can do different things in the ip that already exist and that already are successful like i was talking about the crew earlier where it's not chasing 2006 need for speed games anymore it's going after something like a forza horizon where it is an open world racing game that might be more akin to what people want in today's day and age uh with assassin's creed again trying the old school versus the new school you've got the big rpg versus the action game uh and they could bake the elements that were going to be in the next immortals phoenix into something else uh you know i'm thinking about like prince of persia like it would be really cool to see a prince of persia game in the future in the style of immortals phoenix rising um you know there's cool stuff you can do that you can kind of guarantee more success rather than just starting from scratch uh from the from the get-go but i totally understand what you're saying there and um you know, like I said, the people that are working on this, I'm sure that are bummed, or I'm mm-hmm. sure they are bummed that they aren't able to show their work to the world until it gets leaked in, like, 2026, and then we get articles
0: about, like, this is what could have been. <laughs> yeah. And we're all like, ah, oh, Ubisoft, what are you yep. doing? That's what'll happen. Uh, yeah, sucks for the people over at Ubisoft Quebec that were making this, but, uh, you know, they Ubisoft is a company at the end of the day. They gotta make money. So look forward to 16 Assassin's Creed games coming soon. I'll buy them all. hmm <laughs> you and my brother you and my brother supporting oh. them single-handedly that's all the news stories for this week but we got some listener questions so if you want to be uh, if you want to submit questions for the show you can do so in the discord or you can tweet at us at twitter at save game media Just like It's Kyle did, he says, Are games becoming more dumbed down, especially in RPGs? Games back in the day had complex systems, side quests that branched the entire game, systems that required you to think about how you're playing and the best way to proceed. Puzzles are becoming so simple a baby could solve them, or they just tell you the answer looking at you, Forbidden West.
1: I think that um, I think it's really interesting to call out for Forbidden West because I know that was a big controversy of of Aloy's over here. Like, hmm, I wonder if I move that rock to the right a little bit, and you know, like they tell you how to actually get through it. But I think that I think that yes, games potentially are getting more dumbed down. But I also think that that is because of how many games are coming out, and I don't know if it's a reflection of my personal life, but. I don't have as much time as I used to have. And so going in and being stumped on a puzzle for 45 minutes, not really my cup of tea. And also developers might be very well aware of the fact that people are probably going to Google this anyway. So why would I, you know, spend all this time making this complex, you know, Peter Molyneux level, uh, difficult puzzle Mm -hmm. whenever we could throw some complexity in there enough to kind of get the gears turning, but not enough to really stump them. I think that might be a part of it, but, um yeah it's tricky it it's a weird dichotomy of 400 hour rpgs that are also pretty accessible like the games haven't gotten any smaller they've they've just gotten easier i guess and there's more content i don't know what do you think uh
0: i think there's some truth to this statement that games have become more dumbed down um but i i also think that it's simply because there's as you said there's a plethora of games that come out like we used to go like a month without new releases. Now there's new releases every single day to a, a varying degree. Like there's so many games being released out, on the storefront at any given time, it's no longer like, Oh, this is the game I'm gonna be playing for the summer, like the whole summer on the NES. Like I'm gonna play this and then I have nothing but time because there aren't other games that are coming, aren't other games that are gonna take my attention away. So like the puzzles could be more intricate, more complicated, you'd have to take time to figure them out. And we didn't have the internet back then, like in the 90s and the early 2000s, like the internet was still coming of age and we didn't have the answers to everything at our fingertips when the game came out because reviewers have like intense review teams and guide teams already tearing the game apart every instance that they possibly can before it even comes out to the public. So I think this is a, is a response to the change in the economy of games and also the player habits because like you, you Sam, what you were saying, you're not a fan of, of puzzles in games. I've heard this sentiment from so many people, they don't like puzzles. They they're not look. There are puzzle games specifically, but that's not what most people want in say an RPG or an action adventure game. Like they want the other gameplay that comes along with it. I fall more in the camp of when when I notice games are dumbed down the most is JRPGs. If you look at JRPGs from the early two thousands, even kind of into the the later twenty uh, tens dungeons were puzzles like oh i have to collect all the little shadow figures and bring them to a specific area and that'll unlock i have to do block puzzles or whatever like there were dungeons with puzzles now jrpg dungeons for the most part are hallways that you just run down and maybe hit a switch so i've seen a very clear shift from every sort of genre across the board that like Our players don't really want puzzles. And when we design these types of things, we should make them very simple so they can get back to the gameplay.
1: Yeah, I think that uh, an example that comes to mind for me recently is Star Wars Jedi Survivor, where the puzzles aren't necessarily complex. And I enjoy a puzzle in a game, but you've got about 10 to 15 minutes of me fiddling around and trying to figure it out before I'm like, all right, I got to go to bed in an hour. I'm going to Google this thing. We're going to look it up on YouTube. And we're going to get through this so that I can get to the next boss mm-hmm. fight or the next, you know, little troop of stormtroopers that's waiting for me on the other side of this door. Um, so I think that it, it is definitely a big change. And especially like you said, I'm not a big JRPG guy, but In my mind the complexity of those games and the difficulty of them is kind of like a trademark hallmark of what the experience really should typically be bringing so i think that some genres are going to feel the impact more than others and jrpgs are definitely one of them
0: yeah i would say that i think there are games that are taking this to an extreme and you can tell that maybe they've been a little over tuned and sony first party games i've i've called out for having this problem as of late like ragnarok forbidden west is a good one like they tell you the solution as soon as you walk up to it and i was like why even put it in the game then like you haven't given me a, a second to even think like oh i should freeze the geyser over there thank you i you know would have been helpful if you had let me just survey the area for five seconds before you blurted that out yeah. um there are games that i think do it well like a, a Plague Tale: requiem i thought one they she didn't immediately give you any solution i i can't off the top of my head think of when she told me it apparently if you do get stumped they will give you hints at a a certain point of like how to solve certain puzzles but there are games that know how to balance like we got to help the player and we also need to get not make the puzzle so hard that nobody's going to figure this out right like um i i do think games are getting dumber though and that's just uh it's just where the gaming culture is at unfortunately
1: yeah i think that a plague tale i think one of the best features that kind of meets the player in the middle between these two endpoints is i think with a plague tale you get a prompt that says do you want a hint or something along mm. those lines and so i think that might be a good middle point where keep some of the complexity maybe not as much as there had been back in like 1998 or whatever whenever these big games were coming out but give players like you said time to kind of think through things because i know for a plague tale a lot of it was I literally just missed where I'm supposed to fling a rock Mm -hmm. and knock down a platform or whatever. And so I would wander around and there was a sense of satisfaction whenever I'm like, oh, I'm an idiot. It's right there. And then you continue on and you've overcome this like admittedly really easy obstacle. Um, But I, I think that giving players the option to get the hint is probably where the middle point needs to be.
0: You know, Insomniac is an interesting developer when it comes to puzzles because they give you the option to skip them. Altogether, together like I know Ratchet and Clank rift apart it's, it's like do you want to do this puzzle if not like we'll just skip it for you and you can go to the next story beat and I was like that is is incredibly interesting uh way to do this uh I personally not a fan of it because I think it kind of like takes away from the game experience but I understand that there are going to be players that will use that feature
1: yeah i'm cool with options too i think ratchet and clank is one where it hits you and i where we probably played some ratchet and clank games back in the day and it's a nostalgic thing but also i'm sure there are like six and seven year olds also playing this that might not want to play through this stuff or people that are older and just want the story to go back to the roots. so um, i think
0: it's all about options you know let players play the game how they want all right well uh we'll go to thrack next who says what chances are Are there, you think, of Xbox bringing back the backwards compatibility program for Activision games? We could get most of the Crash and Spyro games brought up, as well as some other gems to please fans. I know I would love it. So what do you think? uh, Are they going to bring back some backwards compatible games? Man,
1: I would love this. If it is possible, I think that they absolutely should. Will they? I mean, anything is on the table at this point, whenever they put out that blog post where it's like, we want to thank you guys for your support of the backwards compatibility program. They probably didn't think that they were actually going to be closing the deal on Activision Blizzard at that given point. So Mm -hmm. um, I would love to see these older games come back, especially, you know, it will, it'll never happen because music licensing and I know it's a pain, but man, backward compatible, Tony Hawk games. Mm -hmm. I, I made a video in like 2014 asking for backward compatible Tony Hawk games. I would literally lose my mind if I could finally pop in a copy of like underground two on the original Xbox. And all of a sudden it just works. Ah, oh, God, that'd be great.
0: I, I think that we will get some, I'm confident that they like some of the licensing now that they aqua- own them will be sorted out. I don't think it's the games people are going to want though. Yeah, I don't think it's sure. anything like we're not getting the Marvel ultimate Alliance games. We're not getting just ultimate Spider-Man. We're not getting those type of games. We'll probably get some, some Activision, maybe some older crash game. I mean, we, we know a lot of the crash games, but maybe some of the older crash games, they like, can put on Spyro games. Um, I don't know about Tony Hawk. I think that's kind yeah. of
1: a mess. I know we talked we talked about Singularity last week. Like I yes. think Singularity is a good example of the kind of game you could probably see where it's not big and well known, but it's cool and it's neat to see it get added to the service. I think that's probably what you'll see the most of.
0: I agree. All right, let's go to Taylor. He says, while it isn't our podcast, the Xbox Drive just had its 300th episode. Yes, they did. I was a a guest on there celebrating with them. Lovely folks. Uh, Congrats over to our friends, Sean and Ryan at Carpool Gaming. But he says, just had his 300th episode where you and a number of other indie content creators, indie content creators, I, don't know, I, like, I it, like that, I like that, uh, gave their three favorite original Xbox, Xbox 360, Xbox One, and Series X and S games. Let's have Sam go through his gauntlet of picks. Are there any OG Xbox or 360 games from all those lists you, Kevin, haven't played but want to try? I'm going to tell you right now, Taylor, I don't remember what everyone else said so i can't really answer that part of the question i don't have a list of every game that was listed on the 300th episode but i do i i will do the first part we can we can have sam do his uh three favorite original xbox 360 xbox one and series x games if if you're ready to shotgun that off the top of your head sam
1: yeah, I mean, I scrolled down a little bit earlier, and I was trying to think through it. So, like original Xbox, I mean, obviously Halo, like the original mm-hmm. Combat Evolved. Uh, we got Project Gotham Racing, just because I like racing stuff. Uh, I would also say, um, I think it was the original Xbox. I know there was a 360 version as well, but Simpsons uh, Hit and Run. I think yeah, it was either that's that. A, the, that's the yeah. yep. next it, it was either that or the other Simpsons Hit and Run style game that came out. But um, yeah, so those would be my three picks for the OG Xbox. For 360, I mean, we've got to go Halo 3. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say COD 4, Modern Warfare, just because that was, like, fundamental to, to what it was. And, I mean, gosh, if we're talking third party, the options are limitless, but I would say maybe, like, Assassin's Creed 4 Black Flag okay. might be one that I bring up, just because it was such a, a really good Assassin's Creed game. But, I mean, there are so many to pick from, mm-hmm. from that generation that are... Uh, fundamental to like what we have today um xbox one sunset overdrive obviously got to throw that in there i would say forza horizon 4 is really really good for the xbox one generation um does the master chief collection count just because i think so like, it's such a good compilation that built out what modern, old school Halo looks like. Uh, I think that was a really good pick for the Xbox One. And then for Series X, Tetris Effect Connected, 100%. Ooh, okay. One of my favorite games of this generation. Wow, all right. Um, Beyond that, let's see what my next favorite game would be. I mean, I guess I've got to give it a Halo Infinite because I've spent so much time with it. Like, I love the multiplayer Mm -hmm. of of Halo Infinite. And then I'm trying to think of a good big third-party game that I got really into towards the beginning of the generation. I mean, maybe like Assassin's Creed Valhalla would be up there just because it's such a really uh, huge RPG that I spent a ton of time with. But I mean... The, I, the hits keep coming i mean is game pass an option like i i play whatever's on there so uh yeah i played more games this generation by far than any other at this point in the generation oh, comparatively i think so. i've
0: played more games in these three years than the entire xbox one generation combined and, oh, and yeah. maybe three i played a lot of 360 i feel like i played a lot of 360 games but i i might have been i played a lot of hours in certain games on the three like call of duty i put hundreds and hundreds of hours into so like when i when i think back i'm always like "Oh, i was playing 360 all the time but like how many games that i actually play i don't know like probably not as much as i'm playing these days
1: yeah yeah i might i'm I'm thinking back to about the xbox one like i i totally overlooked red dead redemption 2 games like that you know that are just so good. So Xbox One's got more games than we realized just from third parties, but I think mm-hmm. those are my picks so far for the sake of time. I we could we'll we'll put
0: two hours on the books next week and we'll really get <laughs> into it. those are those are some good picks. I, I different than what I heard on the Xbox drive, and it's certainly different from my picks. but uh, Taylor, make that uh, what you will. But we'll, uh, we'll keep rolling. Terabo in Discord said, PlayStation is now focusing on live service games. It wouldn't be fair to say Xbox is sticking to what core gamers want as they have a lot of live service games like Fallout 76, Grounded, Minecraft, Sea of Thieves, World of Warcraft, he includes, Call of Duty, Diablo, et cetera. But do you see them looking at this model more or are they content? So he's got a few questions here. So first of all, he wants to know, do, you, do we think Xbox is going to continue their live service push?
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's I think that Xbox is of such a scale right now where they don't have to focus on one specific thing they can do the live service games with halo infinite with the forts horizons with uh you know you mentioned them the um the groundeds the the fallout 76 is just keep the content coming i mean sea of thieves is on what it's 14th year you know like it's just it just keeps coming um so i'm kidding by the way i know it's mm-hmm. not actually 14 mm-hmm. years old, but like- um yeah it feels it feels like they've just been going forever with that so i think that they're going to continue the live service stuff but i think then you'll start to see them shift towards like what does Starfield look like in the future of that game? Is it going to be considered a live service game technically, or is it going to be something that's just kind of static and then it gets DLC like the old days? Uh, Avowed is one that comes to mind. You know, you, you look at all these games that got revealed during the um, Direct a couple of weeks ago, but a lot of those feel like they could be single-player games that aren't mm-hmm. necessarily live service. So I think it's a blend of both, but I, uh, I definitely don't think they're going away by any means.
0: I think Xbox uh, last gen was more focused on getting a live service game, getting those uh, initiatives off the ground as opposed to Sony who was very much were the single player, third person, over the shoulder style games, so the the cinematic narrative games that people like, and now we're seeing Xbox kind of react and PlayStation react, where Xbox is like, okay, we need those type of games on our platform, but in the Xbox style, which is why we're seeing a lot of Western RPGs. We're seeing different style single player games, uh, as we saw at the showcase, come over to the Xbox platform while they're maintaining their live service. Their live service games aren't going anywhere. I guarantee you, like Contraband is one that's going to be a live service game that we know is in development. We know that they're working on that uh, Project Dragon with IO, which is going to be a live service game, right? So their live service initiative isn't going anywhere. PlayStation's just trying to catch up uh because they haven't had any live service hits uh from first party they have a plenty of third-party live service game like genshin impact making them billions of dollars over there so they want an internal studio to make a game like that for them to especially with call of duty and this 10-year deal like they're they're going to be pushing even harder now i imagine for the live service games they're not going to abandon their single player audience because that's what got them to where they are and i think that's still their their bread and butter but it is now both companies recognize you kind of need both to succeed
1: yeah also on top of that thinking about who is the audience for these games that they're trying to build and is it playstation building live service games that people are going to flock to or are they going after the call of duty audience especially Mm -hmm. now that microsoft is is owning call of duty here in a couple of weeks um and do players like Do people want to play Call of Duty or do they want to play Marathon or do they like I feel like a game like Destiny that comes out and it's a successful live service game to last for 10 plus years. is kind of like a diamond like you don't Mm -hmm. find them very often. So I think to set out to make one, I mean, you've got to try right out of the bat and know what you're shooting for. But I think it's going to be really hard for anybody to I mean, including Microsoft, to make a new Big live service game that even is on the level of Apex Legends or something like that, where it's based on the bones of what is essentially a Call of Duty spinoff in Titanfall functionally um
0: so yeah a
1: lot of different areas of that to break down for sure
0: yeah which which is why I think with the Activision Blizzard acquisition like they're going to have the mobile live service initiative with things like Candy Crush they now have Diablo under their belt they have Call of Duty so they have established live service games that automatically are like we don't really need to worry about the live service initiative as much which is why I think they're kind of investing more in their single player games yeah
1: you don't have to make a Call of Duty killer if you already already own Call of Duty. So you yeah. can focus on doing uh, doing other stuff.
0: All right. He's got some he's got two more questions. He says Sea of Stars is arriving on PlayStation Plus and Game Pass day one. The only service it's not arriving on is Nintendo's. At some point, does Nintendo need to consider the subscription model?
1: In my opinion, no, because they're still printing money. Like, Would it be great to see everybody get Sea of Stars on day one? Sure. That'd be awesome. Put it on Amazon Luna. I don't care. The more people, the merrier. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, Nintendo's crunching those numbers over there. They don't have to worry about even considering a subscription model because they have Super Mario Wonder coming out in a couple of months, and that's going to make more money than Game Pass probably made in the last three months combined on day one. So I, I think that Nintendo is always going to be over in their corner doing their own thing. And the fact that you even have a subscription model that bakes in old school games at this point is a miracle in and of itself. Uh, I Mm -hmm. think that they'll probably get functional voice chat maybe in 2027. We'll see what happens with that. But um, no, I don't think they're going to be doing it anytime soon.
0: No, yeah, I I agree. Would I love them to get a subscription? Yes, I would, because it it would probably save me some money because I only switch is my exclusive machine like it, it is only for nintendo first party so if you're telling me there's a service i subs- could subscribe to and just get their first party releases throughout the year that sounds great to me like it it'd probably save me some money however you have things like pokemon scarlet and violet selling 10 million copies in three days you have tears of the kingdom selling 10 million copies in three like they have no need For a subscription service they would be losing money because they have probably the most loyal fan base out there like the switch is sold gangbusters their games sell gangbusters like animal crossing almost like half of the switch owners have animal crossing that is ridiculous The, the attachment rate for games on switch is insane and then they never go on sale they're like our games are worth sixty dollars and that's what they're gonna stay forever yeah and it it works for them so i don't know why they would change it
1: i think also we're talking about the nintendo audience too and there are definitely people like you and i that would love a subscription model but also i know a ton of people that just have a switch and they just play nintendo games and Mm -hmm. they're totally cool spending 60 or 70 bucks when the games come out because that's all they want they don't want to experience these indies they don't want to check out uh, anything other than like your animal crossing zelda your mario things like that so um i i would i'm sure they're doing surveys and i would not be surprised if the results of those surveys showed that people just don't don't really have a desire for it in the way that we might think they do
0: yeah, no, I agree. I agree for sure. Um, last question from Terabo, who says, we know the positives of subscription services like Game Pass. What are the negatives that could occur in the future if this model really takes off? For example, one negative of the acceptance and popularity of digital media is we now have less say and ownership of our games.
1: I mean, I think that's the biggest drawback for me is that as these subscription models take off, one of the benefits is I get to play way more games ultimately i am owning fewer games right now physically and if i do want to own them physically i've got to go out and buy them on top of the subscription so i'm really spending more money than Mm -hmm. i probably would if i had just gone out and bought them but i'm also somebody who leverages this subscription to its fullest and plays everything that i can so um, i think that the rise of subscriptions is similar to and kind of in lockstep with the rise of digital media where in 20 years we're probably not going to have discs like in general. I I do not see physical games being a thing. And then you have situations like what's happening right now with Ubisoft. We didn't talk about it on the show, but uh, for Uplay accounts that haven't been used in a specific amount of time, even if you own the games on Steam, you are still losing access to them. Like your licenses. Oh, what? Yeah, your licenses are expiring if you haven't used your Uplay account that those games are connected to. So that kind of stuff is horrifying. Mm -hmm. Uh, And also on top of that, like it locks me into this library of games. And I know that Xbox is good about keeping cloud saves uh, in perpetuity. Like before Game Pass was even a concept, I still have 360 saves that I'm pulling in from the cloud. But in the future, let's say that that changes and you have to maintain a subscription to keep all of your cloud saves for these games. You've only played through cloud streaming. And then if you don't renew, it's just gone. That
0: sucks. That was PlayStation. Yeah. PS Plus, you don't get cloud saves unless you have PS Plus. And then they're gone after, I think, six months if you're not subscribed.
1: Yeah. See, like that kind of stuff where I put the time in and I've put 300 hours in an RPG. And then all of a sudden, just because I couldn't pay for PlayStation Plus for a few months, you know, I had to, I don't know, buy food. Like, you know, stuff like that, where all of a sudden my entire life that I spent all that time on is gone. That's that's horrendous. So that's one of my fears.
0: I think besides what you and, and Terrible mentioned, uh, because I think those are, are are certainly big concerns, the one thing I want to bring up, and I'm sure there are other people, um, because I personally don't, I've, I've said, I don't care if I ever own another game ever again, because as long as I can play it, like once I experience, that's enough for me. But the big negative for me, and I think we've seen this with uh, Game Pass already, is that the subscription services, train people not to buy games which i Mm. think could hurt developers in the future because one thing i don't like seeing is when people are like oh this game looks awesome but i'm gonna wait for it to come to game pass or i i understand that not everyone can afford to buy games day one like you can wait for a sale completely completely valid there are games though that are never going to come to game pass that are never going to come to ps plus so you are essentially saying like hey your game looks good and i would love to su- i would love to play it but i'm not going to support you unless you just give it to me as part of my subscription service and that i don't think is a good mentality to have i think that if a game looks good that you want to play like just just get it just like if you are financially able to you can get it like there are games that i buy day one and then they come to game pass six months later and i'm like okay like it's it's fine like i i don't regret spending the money on it if a game launches into game pass or ps plus that's awesome saves me some money i know the devs are getting that uh money and getting the the deal they made but if you don't launch it into those subscription services i don't think you should be punished for that
1: yeah i would agree with that i think that um I think that there's two kind of ways to look at it. I totally agree. Like if you want a game and you see a good game coming out, I think that it's it's sad whenever you see people saying I'll wait for Game Pass for sure. Um, because like you said, some games just won't come. A couple that come to mind for me that I kind of like fall into that mindset on or like Atlas Fallen or mm-hmm. like Immortals of Avium, where I want to play these games, I just don't know that I want to go all in on day one. And so I kind of fall back to I almost treat the Game Pass situation similar to how I would go with Black Friday in the day, back in the day, whenever a game launches in July, and I want to play it, but I'm like, well, you know, let's take a Far Cry game, for example, with how Ubisoft drops their prices in like three months. Mm -hmm. Do I want to spend $70 on day one in November, or you know, do I want to wait till February and get it for 20 bucks when it's on sale? Uh, It's that same, that's that same mentality. And so I think that supporting developers on games, you know, are good that are getting good reviews. Remnant two is a good example. Like, I'm sure a lot of people out there are like, I'll wait for it to come to a subscription. You could do that. Or you could really love this game and get into it when it's really good right now with so many people playing it and things like that. So there's a trade off either way. But I definitely see the threat that you're calling out there for sure.
0: Yeah, that's that's really the big one I wanted to highlight. And I know it's it's their caveats like i said they're they're patient gamers that i gotta wait for a sale like that's the only way i can afford games but the people that are like oh i could buy it but i'm not going to just just in case it eventually comes that yeah that's a weird mindset to me that's that's something i'm like "Eh, i don't know about that totally uh that's all we got for this week sam uh great show love hanging out with you every single week but where could people find you and your uh, content if they want more
1: You can find me over at Jam Pack Sam on uh, threads. I am I'm not spending as much time on Twitter, which I think we'll talk about a bit in the post show here, Mm. Uh, but you can find me over on threads, YouTube, all that good stuff uh, on TikTok, Instagram, uh, Jam Pack Sam posting content throughout the week talking about the gaming news. And uh, that is where you can find me. I'll be there.
0: I'm uh, I'm holding strong over on X. X going to give it to you. Whoa! Uh, Xbox podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I haven't made any other social medias. I'm I'm going down with the ship, and then we'll see what happens. Um, but you can find me at the Muffin Mon over there, and follow us at Save Game Media over on Twitter to stay up to date with our latest. Thanks everyone for hanging out with us this week. I'm going on vacation, but I'll be back next week. Until then, see ya.